Please remain standing as you are able for the reading of today's gospel lesson from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is so good to be in worship with you today. I hope all of you had a wonderful Independence Day and got to see some good fireworks. We were just praying that my children didn't wake up with the grand finale. So uh, we are so glad to be together this week. Last week, we started a sermon series called Things I Wish Jesus Didn't Say. Pastor Davis started the series with Jesus' command to forgive And this week we turn to anger. In the passage that Charlie just read, Jesus is referring back to the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments, as you probably know, are first presented in the book of Exodus and then again in Deuteronomy. And these are very familiar biblical teachings, principles about how to worship and how to honor God, about how to live ethically in community the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. Jesus revisits the 10 commandments right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He reminds us that we've heard it said, don't commit murder, which is kind of a freebie among the commandments. If you ask me, don't commit murder. I can handle this. You can handle this. I hope. But some of the other commandments can be a little bit more complicated when we really think about it. Put no other gods before me. We've made gods out of other stuff. We've made gods out of money and stuff. And we made gods out of status and maybe other people. Keep the Sabbath. Wow. You and I are far too busy and far too important to rest, aren't we? I think so. And every one of us has certainly failed at some point to honor our father and mother. I'm not looking at you guys, okay? But we've all failed. We've all failed to honor our father or mother or someone else who has loved us well. No stealing. And that seems like a freebie. But I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on who is using someone else's Netflix password. (laughs) And then I'm not supposed to covet my neighbor's house, it says. But HGTV has made that utterly impossible. I'm entirely dissatisfied with my kitchen. But no killing? Okay, that's entirely uncomplicated. I I can do that. But before we get too smug about not killing anyone, Jesus takes it a step further for us. Jesus, who came not to abolish the law, but Jesus who came to fulfill it, to expand it, to reaffirm it and deepen it, to radicalize the law. And in this case, to turn a freebie commandment 
into a real challenge. You've just heard it read today. Jesus said no to killing, but he also said no to anger. And Jesus said no to any kind of verbal insult. And he said that anger and insult were all worthy of the same judgment and punishment as murder. I wish Jesus hadn't said that. In Jesus' radical extension of the law, he calls upon us to follow the law so completely that it guides not just our behaviors, not just our actions, not just the things that people can see, but also our attitudes, also our emotions, our entire thought world has to be transformed here. Now, it's not merely the act of ending someone's life that falls outside the bounds of God's kingdom. God's kingdom doesn't even have room for the anger and hostility that dwell in us. And he goes even further. Our language must be disarmed too, because our biting words can trample the target's humanity. Our words attack their share in the image of God, all of our words. Mm -hmm. The words that we hurl at the TV, the words that we mutter under our breath, the words that we say in the privacy of our cars, the words that we shout at someone we have vowed to love. And then of course the words that we say politely, but we really mean to demean. Those words are an act of violence. It sounds maybe a bit over the top to equate insulting words with murder, to equate anger with violence and killing, but we are reminded of anger's frighteningly close relationship to murder in these idioms that we all use and know. My boss bit my head off today. Dad is on the warpath. My wife will eat me alive. The gloves are off. My colleague was hauled over the coals for that one. I could have kicked myself. He was screaming bloody murder. The way that our language so colorfully addresses anger suggests that we already know it is, in fact, a form of violence. While anger rarely leads to murder, it is hostile. Anger is intense and aggressive and violent. It bites off heads. Anger hauls over coals. Anger eats alive. It kicks and it hits. And we all know that anger is part of our lives. It's a divining characteristic of our culture. Turn on the political pundits. You're going to find anger. Scroll through social media posts and dig deep into those comments. You are going to find anger. Go to the DMV or the post office. Go to the airport. Go to any, so, any retail store sale. Somehow, you're going to find anger. It's there. You can look at all these external places and you can find it just swirling around us. But what do we do when we look inside ourselves? Is it in there? Is it in there too? Not just all around us, but is it in there too? Do you feel it? 
Are you shattered with grief to the point that you're angry at God? Are you overwhelmed to the point that you're angry at a coworker? Are you wounded to the point that you are angry at your partner? Do you feel hurt to the point that you are angry at a friend? Do you feel ashamed to the point that you're actually angry at yourself? That's what anger does. It rises up in us out of fear and stress and helplessness. It rises up from rejection and insecurity and guilt and jealousy, and then it runs wild. Anger is truly devastating when it begins to shape a relationship, when it begins to shape our work or our faith or our home and like it or not, I think that we're going to find that there really is a degree of anger in all of us. And if you're like me, it's kind of hard to stomach the thought that my anger exists somewhere on the same continuum with murder, anger. It is real and it is human. And so since we're real and we're human, we can expect to face it. We will have to face anger. We have, we are right now facing anger. So what do we do? We could, could tackle our very human problem with wisdom from a little tiger named Daniel. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is a show on PBS It is, as you may have guessed from the logo, from the bloodline of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Reinvented for a new generation of children, puppets reimagined as animated friends and family. It is wonderful. My three-year-old loves it. He was um, in some speech therapy for about a year from age one to two. And uh, his therapist said, no TV before the age of two. But if you absolutely must, Daniel Tiger. Okay. Daniel Tiger is good. Daniel taught James that grown-ups always come back. So when mommy or daddy go on a trip now, James sings quietly to himself, grown-ups come back. Daniel taught James to keep trying, even with something as really, really hard, like learning to ride a big boy bike. And so you'll hear James when he's pedaling, grr, 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 out loud, keep on trying and you'll feel proud. One day, Daniel Tiger gets really mad that it's raining outside, really mad that he can't go to the beach with his friend like he had planned. And so his mom teaches him a little song. When you feel so mad that you wanna roar, take a deep breath and count to four. One, two, three. Not terribly bad advice from a little animated tiger. Be slow to anger. Breathe, pause, think, respond rather than react. But as good as Daniel Tiger really is, it does fall short for us in God's kingdom. It only addresses what's happening inside of me. According to Jesus, our anger is not only about us. Our anger is bigger. It's communal. So Jesus calls upon us to name it, and not just repentantly, not just quietly. The passage that we read this morning actually goes on. The next two verses read, Therefore, 
If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Dr. Jean Davenport points out that this sacrifice isn't really a familiar scene to us. So the idea of getting up in the middle of a sacrifice, leaving the animal on the altar, walking out of the temple, all in order to find someone with whom we need to reconcile simply cannot really strike us the way that it would have jolted Jesus' first hearers of this. So he goes on to explain that maybe the closest thing for us would be like a person who is getting baptized. They're about to get baptized And suddenly they stop everything and ask for the worship service to be halted while he or she runs across town to apologize to someone while every one of us waits, possibly for hours. That is the urgency that Jesus was talking about. Reconciliation is that critical and it is that urgent. And here is why. Because the kingdom of God is at stake. Because your anger is not just about you. It is not just your problem. It is not just for you to write with God. And my anger is not just about me. It is not just my problem. It is not just for me to write with God. Your anger affects me. And my anger affects you. Which reminds me of this bit of commentary in our book of worship in the pages that lead up to baptisms. It's explaining the utterly communal nature of baptism. And it says, by the sacrament of baptism, the church pledges to that member your joy, your pain, your gain, your loss are ours for you are one of us. And so your anger is ours for you are one of us. Your words, your actions, your anger actually matters for the individuals who are sitting next to you, who are sitting in front of you and behind you in these pews every Sunday, even if as far as you know, they are entirely unaware of it. And in many ways, this community of faith, this community of faith exists on behalf of the people who don't yet know Jesus. And so our words and our actions and our anger matters that much as well for each beloved child of God who does not yet know that they are beloved. Both in here and out there, we have a community that needs us to put aside violence and anger so we can actively pursue peace and seek reconciliation your joy, your pain, your gain, your loss, your anger are ours for you are one of us. Your anger is ours for you are one of us. Your anger is my anger and mine is yours. So remembering that we are called to go to go daily and seek harmony and heal wounds and make amends, to go from this place today and confess and apologize and forgive and to go right now and reconcile and reconnect and restore, to go and act in such a way that manifests the kingdom of God that is in our midst. You are mine to bear and I am yours, our anger and all. So I'm hoping 
that we're gonna hold that in the front of our minds as we approach this table today. We come to this table today, not out of routine or obligation, but we come offering everything we are to God. That's what happens here. We offer everything we are, even the ugly, hidden, angry parts to God. We lay it to bear on this table and we trust that God will take it. We trust that God will take all that we are, all of it, bless it and make it holy and that God will return it to us as Christ's love in us. And it will be Christ's love in us that will make reconciliation possible. This little bit of bread and this little bit of grape juice will symbolize the realities of restoration and peace and mercy and love and patience and harmony that is ours to claim. So in a few moments, you're gonna be invited to approach this table to receive this sacrament. And as you do, remember the urgency of Christ's message about anger and reconciliation, the urgency to drop everything to address it. So this morning, it's not typical, but this morning in your bulletin, there's a little blank space at the bottom of the prayer list. We always want you to take that prayer list home with you and pray over it. You can tear that little portion off and take it, but there's a blank space. We don't have a prayer list to fill up that space, and so we're going to use that today, if you'll, if you'll bear with me. I'm going to invite you to tear that off. That little blank space. Keep all the names on there. Don't tear off any of the names. Um, but I want you to think about it and consider writing on that little piece of paper the source of the anger that is inside of you. Write on it the anger that is distor- distorting God's purpose in your life and in our community's life. Write on it the reconciliation that you need to plan to pursue as you leave this table in this worship space today and fold it up and bring that little piece of paper with you as you receive this holy meal. And once you've received the symbol of God's love in you, you're invited to kneel at the altar or don't kneel, whatever you would like to do and leave that behind. Leave that on this altar rail, that little slip of paper. Writing those words really might not feel very good, but offering them to God today will feel liberating. Trading them in will feel good. So trade in your anger, trade in your brokenness, trade it in for the peace and reconciliation that God is offering to you and calling you to. We have a living God incarnate among us right here, right now, moving within us and moving between us and healing our anger. So if you feel so mad that you wanna roar, take a deep breath, and count to four, and then come to this table today for a unifying experience, a healing meal, a restorative moment. And as you come, bring your anger with you. But as you go, leave it behind. Amen.